0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Brogna podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Brogna. Buck Showalter is no longer the manager of the New York Mets, which means we're probably not going to talk at all about any of these three games against the Philadelphia Phillies as the Mets win two out of three, and they end arguably the most disappointing season in the history of the franchise. I'm not sure how many wins they have because MLB has not informed us yet about that suspended game. Is it a Met victory? Is it a Marlin victory? Does it not count at all? Who the hell cares? The bottom line is this. This season is finally over, and on Sunday morning, maybe early Sunday afternoon, we got the news that I think deep down we mostly expected, and that's the fact with a new team president will come a brand new manager. I'm going to give you my first reaction to this because whether it's a good move or it's a bad move, sometimes your feelings matter. Sometimes how you feel about something matters more so than they should have kept him or thank God he's gone. My first reaction was disappointment that yet again we are looking for another manager. I- I'm certainly disappointed for him. I know he's probably upset. He clearly said that after the game and before the game, he wants to keep managing. This was not a quit job by Buck. This was not. A resignation job by Buck, despite the Mets giving him that option. He wanted to remain the manager. For me, as a Met fan, I think for all of us as a Met fan, this is like a cycle now. Every two years, let's go get a new manager. Since Terry Collins, who had a nice run leading this team, it went from two years of Mickey Calloway getting fired after an above 500 season to Carlos Beltran, who never got a chance to manage because of the Astros cheating scandal. To Luis Rojas, who featured a clunky, not real season of 2020 into a collapse of 2021, where we spent all that time in first place to watch it disappear, to watch him have no idea what was going on in that locker room and look overmatched for the job into Buck. And Buck supplied hope. Buck was the adult. Buck was the man with the resume. Buck Showalter was the guy we all looked at and said, wow, wouldn't this be the greatest way to quote, finish the story? to come back to New York, win a championship. Oh, it's going to be great. And he had a wonderful first year. Year two was a complete disaster from top to bottom. Not all him, but certainly he was a part of it. And it just sucks that we are sitting here again talking about another manager and talking about another administration. Now, that part isn't a surprise. We've known for a while that Steve Cohen wants to hire a real team president. And his ability... To not find the right GM over the last couple of years has been, it's been embarrassing. Now, not all of it is his fault, but the reality is this is a franchise that has now had, think about this for a second, five different executives lead the team. Five different guys be the face of the franchise. Even though some of them overlapped with each other, five different guys we would look at and say, that guy's running the Mets. It started with Sandy Alderson. It continued with the two guys that are almost interchangeable, Scott and Porter. It went into Billy Epler, and now it's David Stearns. And while Billy Epler's gonna remain, let's not be fooled here. David Stearns is running the operation. That has certainly been made clear even before he's been announced officially as the team president. So I'm not mad that they fired Buck. I think they should have fired Buck. I'm thrilled they hired David Stearns. So don't misconstrue. Negativity about where they are now. It's more, this sucks. This sucks that a year removed from winning over 100 games, where we thought maybe there was stability to this organization, even though when you really think about it, that was never going to be the case. Here we are again starting over. I heard the phrase, a new era of Mets baseball, said multiple times during the broadcast. How many times have we had new eras of Mets baseball? A lot. A lot of new eras. The Omar Minaya era into the Sandy Alderson era, into the three different GM era, into the Brody Van Wagen era, into the Steve Cohen era, into the Sandy Alderson is back era, into the Porter and Scott for both various different reasons. Can't hold the job era, into the Billy Epler era, into the Buck Showalter era, into whatever this era is. The David Stearns, Craig Council era, if that's what it turns out to be. So before we get into the good and the bad and how much blame Buck deserved and clearly the conversation of who should replace him, I think it's fair as a Met fan, whether you like the move or hate the move, to kind of look around and say, this stinks. Who the hell wants to go through this every couple of seasons? And that's what this franchise has done for a while. And look, with an owner, you can't fire an owner. And certainly none of us want to fire Steve Cohen, especially because of the checkbook that he has. But this hire of David Stearns and the subsequent hire of the manager, he better get it right. Because so far since he's taken over, I just named all the names. I just went through all the different executives. So I'm excited about the search. I'm excited about the new era of Met Baseball. But it's okay in the moment to say, hey, this, this kind of stinks
1: that it's come to this. Do you share that feeling at all, Pete? I, I do because, first of all, I'm a very much a big Buck Showalter supporter. Even though this year was bad, and I think I said a lot of negative things about him, I'm very much a Buck supporter, and I do believe he loves the game and he's he got really he has a really good um outlook of the game. But unfortunately, what the Mets need right now is not Buck Showalter, so that definitely sucks. Like. I felt bad for him. I, I really, I really did. And like you said, it's stability. Like we need that. Like in order to succeed, you don't just go and, and fire a, a, a manager every two years and all of a sudden walk into a, a world series. It doesn't happen. It's, it's right. not going to. You need to be able to have like council's been with the, the Milwaukee Brewers, what, for six, seven years? They made the playoffs five out of six years. That's, that's stability. We need oh, that. Yeah. No question. Craig Council, uh,
0: his first season managing Milwaukee was the year before David Stearns got there. So he's had a very, very long run in Milwaukee. And, you know, even across town with the Yankees, I know Yankee fans always scream and yell about firing Aaron Boone. Since Buck Showalter was removed as the Yankees manager after the 1995 season, they have hired three managers. Joe Torre, Joe Girardi, and Aaron Boone. In that same time frame, are you ready? Dallas Green, Bobby Valentine, Art Howe, Willie Randolph, Jerry Manuel, Terry Collins, Mickey Calloway, Carlos Beltran, Luis Rojas, Buck Showalter, and whoever they hire will be the 11th guy. So while the Yankees have had three guys, and all of them have supplied some level of stability... I know Joe Torre had a bulk of it, but Girardi's run was long, and even Boone's run has been pretty long. I mean, since Aaron Boone's taken over, the Mets have gone through Mickey Calloway, Carlos Beltran, Luis Rojas, Buck Showalter, and again, whoever takes the job. And yes, I did say Carlos Beltran's name because he was the Met manager. Whether it was the Mets' fault or not for deciding to move on from him, he was hired to be the manager. So anytime I do one of these lists of how many managers they've gone through, and the lack of stability this franchise has had, I owe it to us to say his name. Because for a few months, he was going to be the manager. And I look at the history of this franchise. The Mets are now on a streak. They're on a crazy streak where they have had, and I guess for the sake of this, I won't include Beltron because he never managed a game. They have now gone through three managers in a row who've gone two and out two years as manager, and then gone. Mickey Calloway, 18 and 19, gone. Rojas, 20 and 21, gone. Buck, 22, 23, gone. In the history of this franchise, they've only had four managers who have done that or less. Joe Frazier in the 70s, George Bamberger in the 80s before Davey, Buddy Harrelson and Jeff Torberg back-to-back in the early 90s. So. Even in our history, which has not been the most stable, this is the most instable period in the history of the franchise. And look, we'll spend a lot of time talking about what went wrong this season and highlighting everything. But I'll give you one factoid right off the top. Far and away, this is the biggest drop-off in win total this franchise has ever had. Coming into this year... The biggest drop off in wins was between 1976 to 1977, where they went from 86 wins to 64 wins, which is a loss of 22 games. Depending on what is announced with that mystery game against the Marlins, they will have gone from 101 wins to, in all likelihood, 75 wins. That's 26 games. That's a lot. There was only one year in the history of the franchise where they dropped off by twenty games or more, and it's the year I just gave. So this has been an all-time disaster season, and Buck Showalter, right or wrong, was the captain on this
1: ship while it sank. Yeah, you that's can't. You you can't have that type of drop off and not go unscathed. That that's literally what it is. I mean, and unfortunately, no matter how much you love Buck, it, it, there's so many different issues here. The coach has got to take half the blame. I mean, look, look at Game Capler well, even in, in San Francisco.
0: I'll give you another example. While I've been very skeptical about how bad the Met clubhouse was, I think it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. And Gary Cohn even alluded to this during the broadcast. When you win, the chemistry is amazing. When you lose, ah, the chemistry stinks. And we've spent a lot of time talking about it. We'll spend more time talking about it during the offseason. But if you're a believer that the Met locker room had issues, Well, then, of course, the manager should feel a lot of that blame. I think a big part of why Luis Rojas lost his job after the 2021 season was certainly not his baseball acumen. It was certainly not him not knowing baseball. A part of it was he fell completely out of touch with what was going on in that locker room. And we had a weekly spot with him at the time, Craig and I, and we had him on every single week. And there were times where I beat him up a little bit, a little bit, but he seemed to not know what was going on, not with baseball, but what was going on in that room. So if you're a believer that this room had any kind of issue this year, well, then how do you not criticize Buck Walter for that? So I think for a myriad of reasons, the Mets made the right choice for a myriad of reasons. Number one, that. Number two, the failure we just talked about. This was a complete, utter failure in which he deserves part of the blame. Now, I'm so sick of hearing, well, it's not his fault. I always hear that about managers. No one's saying it's their fault. Like, the whole season crumbled because of him. I'm not saying that. If I made a list of blame, and trust me, we will, there'll be a podcast called The List of Blame. I'm not even saying Buck's in the top five, but he gets some blame. And real quick, without getting into specifics, I'll give you a few. I think the biggest blame was his insistence and loyalty to guys like Daniel Vogelback who he continued to run out there every single day, until now, until the final three weeks of the year, where, by the way, I forgot Vogelbach was on the roster. Like, he do not even exist. It's amazing. He disappeared. The inability to give Mark Vientos that opportunity early in the season, even Francisco Alvarez at times. So I think his handling of young players and loyalty to veterans. And before you say, Evan, that's not him. That's Billy Epler. That's the GM. My counter to that's always going to be this. I still believe the manager in general makes out the lineup card. I do. Do they have a lot more influence coming from the analytics department and the general manager's office? Absolutely. They get more information than ever. But ultimately, Buck Showalter made that decision until we're told otherwise. So I don't usually fall into the knee-jerk reaction of, well, he didn't make that decision. No, no, he did make that decision. Some of those bullpen decisions this year, some of those non-pinch hitting decisions this year that we went through, that's him. He didn't have a great year. He didn't. Doesn't mean he's the reason they dropped off by 26 games, but he damn well contributed to it. But the real reason, the real reason, and I thought Steve Cohen gave a very interesting answer when he met the media after the game. The real reason there needed to be a change is because you just hired a team president. And that team president needs to make the decision on who the manager is. Period. Stop. And I forget who asked it, but it's a great question. I think it was Mike Puma. Mike Puma said, so, Steve, you're going to bring in David Stearns either way, which seems likely. This team could have won 95 games. They could have won the division. They wanted to hire a president of baseball operations. Cohen's talked about it for a while. They've always had their high on David Stearns. If the Mets had success, was Stearns going to still replace Bach?" And you know what the answer is? Probably yeah. Yeah. And it would have caused a lot more controversy. And there would have been a lot more arguments about it. But ultimately, when you are bringing in a completely new executive to run a franchise, which is what David Stearns is, and he has a resume. Unlike Billy Epler, who doesn't really have an impressive resume, if we're being honest, David Stearns does a much more impressive resume. David Stearns is going to get to decide who the manager is. And David proved in his time in Milwaukee that he was open-minded. Because remember, he inherited Craig Council and decided to keep him. Council had taken over a year earlier. He was still a young, relatively unknown quantity as a manager. We certainly knew who he was as a player, but unknown as a manager. And David Stearns decided to keep him. So he would already shown us he's got an open mind. Buck Showalter is a known, con- known quantity. We know what he is. And does he have a really good resume? Absolutely. Does he have a Hall of Fame resume? Probably a little bit short, despite what Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso said. And those are very complimentary things. And maybe some other time, we'll do a Buck Alter Hall of Fame podcast. But David Stearns has to hire his guy. The question's going to be, who is his guy? Is it the obvious answer? Or is it something we're not looking for? So emotionally, there was disappointment upon hearing the news that here we go again. The Mets are looking for a new manager. The lack of stability in this franchise continues. But now when you think about should they have made the move or should they not have made the move, the answer to me is clearly yes. They needed to move on from Buck, not because he's an idiot, not because he can't manage, but because in this situation, coming off the year they came off of, a year in which people are questioning the locker room. Well, then the manager's dead. But more importantly than any of that, the number one reason Buck Showalter needed to go was David Stearns. And we're going to find out if David Stearns is going to go down as an all-time great executive or he's going to be a guy we curse at. Because everything he did in Milwaukee is a nice resume to look at, and it's nice to know his background, but it's all about what you're going to do here. It's about, are you going to resign, Pete Alonso? What pitching are you going to add? What guys are you going to draft? And yes, who are you going to hire to manage this team? So they made the right move. It was a weird day, no question about it. I think the game, and look, game 162, or in this game, 161, whatever you want to call it, is always a weird day when your season's over. It's just a strange day. Because even Saturday, I was at the doubleheader, at least parts of both games. You're still thinking about the game. You're still thinking about the young players that are playing. You're still thinking about, hey, can we win this game? When you get to that final game of the year and there's nothing on the line, you kind of go through the motions a little bit as a fan. And not even think like, well, does any of this matter? Even though the day before didn't matter, it feels like the last day of the year really doesn't matter. So this game got completely overwhelmed by the buck news, by the debate amongst Met fans, which quickly pivoted from should they have fired him into, well, who they going to hire? Who should they bring in? So it was a nice tribute that the Mets did before the game, set up by Eric Chavez, where everybody came out. and They were cheering him as he exchanged the lineup card. And Balk handled everything with class, and he handled his post-game press conference. And this time I laughed. You know, while he was managing over the last two years, sometimes his jokes would bother me. I'd say, you're not funny. Stop making zings. Just talk about the game. But I think knowing, all right, he's not managing this team. There's a decent chance he's never going to manage again, and he wants to manage again. And he is a good dude. No one has an issue with Buck Showalter as a human. I found his humor to be more endearing than it had been during the course of the regular season. He only wanted to talk about Jose Budo. He talked about all the injuries that happened. He's concerned about Francisco Alvarez, which got me concerned. And he starts saying that, I'm concerned about Alvarez. He's concerned about Alvi. I'm like, geez, don't scare me. We've had enough crap going on this season. He didn't really want to talk about what happened. And I think the first question was, were you thinking about this being your last game? What was going through your mind? And he's like, I was just trying to win. I was just trying to win a baseball game, which, by the way, they didn't. They got their asses kicked in the ninth inning. Their bullpen imploded. They lost nine to one <laughs> in, case, in case you didn't see any of that game. This is a weird Rico. I don't think we're going to talk about any of those games. And we could talk about that doubleheader. Adam Adovino doesn't know how to hold on a base runner. That drove me Oh, my God. That drove me so effing nuts. In game one of this doubleheader as the Phillies are rallying, and this dude is stealing second. He's stealing third with less than two outs. And Adovino doesn't even look over. Now, to his credit, got a big strikeout, got the flyout. Mets win 4-3. to three, But, gee, Adam, can you freaking look over? Can you attempt to hold a base runner on? And then, obviously, Alvarez had the big game, too, with a couple of home runs. Yippity-doo-dah, the Mets sweep the Philadelphia Phillies. It doesn't mean anything.
1: But the whole game was about Buck. It was like a Buck
0: tribute game.
1: Well, I, the one thing I will say about this, this final weekend series, it was good that they were facing like, – at least I enjoyed the fact that they were playing a division rival in the Phillies. The fact that, like, it didn't make a difference it sucked. But, like, next year they're playing the Brewers at, at the final week of the season. This year the Yankees faced the, the, the freaking Kansas City Royals. Like, it was such a – out of place. For like the end of the season, I feel like they really need to find a way to even out these divisions to get like, if expansion's expansion's coming, add two more teams. These, this last weekend needs to be the division rival. It's always, it's always
0: weird. I mean, especially in the case of the Astros and Diamondbacks, they're playing freaking interleague play and those games mattered. You know, the Astros are playing for the AL West, which they won. The Diamondbacks were playing for a wild card spot, which they eventually got into the last wild card spot. Those to me are more awkward than anything. But when you're out of it, it doesn't matter, <laughs> is the way I view it. Like when you're out of it, they could have played the Phillies, they could have played the Tigers, they could have played the freaking Yankees for all I cared. It was, it really, it really didn't mean anything. But it was certainly, it, when I was there Saturday, it was, it's always emotional when you go to your last game of the year because you got to remember you're not going to be there for six months. And if you go to a lot of games during a season, it's your home away from home, it's your ballpark. So Saturday, being there for parts of both games, I was looking around trying to smell the hot dog, smell the popcorn, smell everything in that ballpark and say to myself, wow, I ain't going to see this place for a while because it's a long, long off
2: season, long off season. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. So the next question,
0: naturally, is who's next? Buck alter has gone. We all have our opinions on if they should have kept him or not. To me, it's open and shut when you hire a new team president. So you move on to who is next. So let's start with the obvious. As I sit here today, and I think I said this a few months ago on the podcast at times, I do believe Craig Council will be the manager of this team. Sometimes the obvious is the obvious for a reason. Sometimes things are out there and you try to put the pieces together and it fits so easily that you say, well, it can't be that. And what I mean by this is that David Stearns has known for multiple years that the Mets and Steve Cohen were looking to hire a team president for a while. And so David Stearns, to his credit, played the long game. He couldn't convince brewer ownership necessarily to let him out of his deal. So he remained as team president. He resigned, went into this advisory role, waited for his contract to run out. The Mets were still interested and they hired him. Like this process has been a two year run and both Steve Cohen and David Stearns showed the patience. They showed the patience that, Hey, if we can't get this immediately, we're going to wait. David Stearns probably knew. Two years ago, he was going to do this. And so Craig Council, whether they're talking to each other or not, or it's through back channels, but of course they could talk to each other. They work for the same organization. Over the last year, has refused to sign a contract extension. Now, Craig Council is one of the better managers in all of baseball. And we talked earlier about stability. He has supplied that stability to the Milwaukee Brewers. This has been one of the Brewers' best runs in their franchise's history. They haven't won a championship yet. But they did get to the seventh game of the National League Championship Series. They have been in the playoffs almost every year. And we talked about that word stability. Nine seasons as the Brewers manager. He took over in the midst, actually early on, in the 2015 season. So think about all those years. 2015, that's the year we were in the freaking World Series. So David Stearns has known Craig Council. Over the
1: entirety,
0: or basically the entirety, of his managerial tenure. 530 winning percentage. Postseason, one, two, three, four. This will be his fifth time. Basically above 500 almost every year since the beginning. Did finish two under in that 2020 season. A year they made the playoffs. So, I think if you try to put the pieces together, why hasn't Craig Council signed an extension? Why hasn't Craig Council re-upped? In Milwaukee, a place that he's from. Like, Craig Council went to high school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Think about that for a second. Like, born in Indiana, grew up high school in Milwaukee, went to college at Notre Dame, played for the Brewers. He's a Brewer guy. Like, he would never be a guy looking to leave. He would be looking to depart for two reasons. Number one, to get away from baseball, which is, I think, the Mets' biggest competition of Craig Council saying, yeah, this was all because I need a break. And that's absolutely on the table. That's their competition. I don't think their competition's another team. Their competition is Craig Council wanting to watch his kids play sports. The other reason he may have been not signing an extension is because he may look around and say, I've had a great time here. I'm from here. But I want a better opportunity to win. And managing a team that's in the middle towards the back of the pack and payroll, it's fun, it's nice, there's less pressure, but damn, I'm good. And I can handle New York City with a top three payroll, or a top one payroll. So, I kind of lean towards the fact that Greg Council, as a manager of nine seasons in Milwaukee, is not leaving his quote-unquote dream job to take a break, though it's a threat, I think it's to come here. Now, would we all agree, my fellow Mets fans, that despite us having no connection to him, no affiliation to him, he didn't play for the 86 Mets. He didn't play for the 2000 Mets. He is a baseball player that we remember, but we have no connection to. But would we agree in taking a step back that when you look at his resume and you look at his connection to David Stearns, he is clearly the right Guy for this job, do we all agree with that?
1: I think everyone can agree to that, and that there's no question about it. Again, it, he's a winner. I mean, even when he was playing in his playing days, he was a winner, and that's kind of what we need right now. We need someone that's going to take charge and help this team and help this franchise win. So whatever it takes. And I'm not saying he's, he's winning championships with the Brewers. They haven't seen a World Series, but they get into the playoffs, and they got that stability. Like we said, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I,
0: I think other than our biases towards, well, I like this guy or I like that guy. And Buck was a part of that because Buck had that New York connection. So I think a lot of us had a bias towards Buck Showalter, not only based on his Yankee days, but I think that led to it like this. Well, he can manage in New York feel. So I think we have this connection of Buck, even if it wasn't direct with the Mets, it certainly existed in New York. I think Craig Council, if we're just taking all emotion aside, because there is no emotion towards him, he has between age, between resume, between connection to Stearns, he's the guy. Now, can he handle the New York media? That's always a question that we have to ask about any athlete that comes here and any manager or coach that comes here. How is he going to handle that? And that's something that none of us know. We could go back and watch his press conferences, especially during this postseason, and analyze his answers, but it's different. It's different when you're dealing with the amount of reporters and then obviously the talk that you'll get on sports talk radio or the booze you'll get in the ballpark. It's a different element. doesn't mean he can't handle it, but that's something you would hope as a New Yorker David Stearns can identify. David Stearns is a New Yorker. David Stearns grew up as a Met fan. He worked with Craig Council for a very long time. He has to know that a part of the job, maybe one of the biggest parts of the job, is handling the media and handling the fans correctly. If you win, it doesn't matter. But when there's any kind of adversity, how are you going to handle that? That's something that like, you're kind of guessing at. Because again, looking at his nine years in Milwaukee, it's tough to know after a You know, a bad managerial decision in the wild card game of 2019, how he was going to handle it in New York City necessarily. But I think he's the best candidate out there. With that said, I made a list. I have a very, very long list of other managerial candidates. Some of them you may have never heard of. Some of them have resumes. Some of them you may throw up at hearing. Some of them may give you a tingly feeling.
1: I have no idea. Now, this list, are you ranking it in order? Or is it just a, no. li- oh, okay. All right. No, Could no. you, can at the end of this list, we go through the <laughs> top three candidates that we both like? Absolutely. I-, I will tell you off the top. And I think a part
0: of it is the failure of Callaway and the failure of Rojas that I want a guy who's managed before. That, that is going to be something I lean towards. That there are going to be some guys on this list that have managed before, there are going to be some guys on this list that have not. And the thing about guys who haven't managed, you have no idea. You know, we're guessing. And it's like throwing a name out there and saying, well, he's been a bench coach here and he was a bench coach there. And it's like, who the hell knows? You know, when Mickey Calloway came here and Terry Francona, who has retired, congratulations to Tito, future Hall of Famer. And Terry Francona's like, oh, he's a can't miss. He's going to be great. What the hell did Terry Francona know? He didn't know. So I will name some guys that have not managed before. And I would tell you off the top, while you can interview them and you never know, and maybe they will be great managers elsewhere. To me, I'm going to prefer to hire somebody that's had some kind of experience. Uh, do you feel the same way? Or are you more open to the first
1: timer? Uh, so I'm split. I, ha- I have three guys that I'm zoning in on, and we'll talk about that after you give your list. I have three guys, um, and Two have experience. One, not really. Okay. Fair enough. Let's just get one out of the way
0: that I think is going to be on everybody's list. And that is righting the wrong and just hiring Carlos Beltran. Uh, I think that's, I don't know, man. I, I loved Carlos as a player and I liked when he was hired. I was intrigued by the hire. I thought, okay, this could be good. This could be fun. This could be great. Who the hell knows? I don't know if going back to that is really the best idea, especially based on what I just said, which is I want a guy with experience and Carlos Beltran has no experience other than he does have experience at the managerial press conference because he was hired and he did have a press conference. So he
1: does have experience with that. That's well, okay. But the thing about Carlos and especially why he doesn't fit if the past two years or three years, even the ups and downs of this locker room, I I know that he'd be helpful because of the bilingualness, because he'd be able to connect to all players. I still don't think he'd be able to unite the team or find a way to really, like all (coughs) all the locker room nonsense that I heard, Carlos Beltran is too passive to really get involved with that stuff. You know, you know, it's funny. I actually look at that being his
0: strength, that the strength of Carlos Beltran is that he's not that far removed from playing. He's going to have the respect of, I think, everybody upon walking in there. I do. So I kind of look at it as even if he's more of a quiet guy, that that kind of leadership actually could bring the room together. Uh, My concerns about Carlos are I just don't know if he'll be good at the job. I just don't know if he's going to handle a bullpen well. I don't know if he's going to know the right time to pull a starting pitcher as smart as he is at baseball. Like, it's managing. I don't know what kind of manager he is. He's never done it before.
1: Well, all right. So here's the other guys all on my list. All I'll just add to is what he does have a leg up with understanding the the hitting, and he could he could put together a great system for the hitters to be a, one step ahead. If you know what I'm trying to. Are you
0: trying to say he's going to steal signs? Yes. From us? Is that what you're basically isn't saying? That
1: why they, <laughs> isn't that why they hired him to begin with? <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, I'm not against it, man. God knows what the Braves are freaking doing. I'll, I'll take anything at this point. All right. one guy just became available. Gabe Kapler. Gabe Kapler is going to be badmouthed by a lot of people over the next couple of days. Gabe Kapler had two years in Philadelphia. He was 80 and 82. He was 81 and 81. He once went to a bullpen arm who was not even warming up. There was some miscommunication issues. He had his battles with the Philadelphia media. So there will be a lot of negativity said about Gabe Kapler. Gabe Kapler's resume is not terrible. Like his two years in Philadelphia, here's what we forget. What were the Phillies before Gabe Kapler walked through that door? They were a 90-loss team. Then you forget when you look at that roster in 2018, that first year he was there and they won 80 games, were they any good? And the answer is no. So I don't look at his two years in Philly, and again, the Philly fan may view this differently and say, oh, what a disaster. Two years, he couldn't handle the media. And then they acted as if his replacement was the Messiah, Joe Girardi, and they turned on him before you could know it. And the real answer was sitting there the whole time and Rob Thompson, apparently, because they have made the playoffs in back-to-back years. I didn't think Kapler was a disaster in Philadelphia. He may have been with the media, which I think takes experience. I would bet you this about Gabe Kapler. Gabe Kapler in New York will not make the same mistakes as the Gabe Kapler in Philadelphia. Now we get to San Francisco. 2020, they they were 29 and 31. They barely missed the playoffs, whatever you throw it out. In 2021, in one of the most miraculous managerial jobs I've ever seen, they won 107 games. And I swear to you, look at that roster. That is not a 90-win team. Forget a 107-win team. They followed it up by coming back to earth, but they were 81-81, and which to me, roster-wise, is exactly what they are. And they followed it up this year with a mediocre season. I don't think he's ever had a really good team. I don't. I think this met roster is far better than a roster he's had in San Francisco and the roster he's had in Philadelphia. He's got six years of experience now the two in Philadelphia, the four in San Francisco. Um, I don't think he would be bad for this job. And I may be the only voice saying it because I think Kapler, for whatever reason, is going to have like this reaction from fans as if, oh my God, Gabe Kapler, how could you do it? I don't think he'd be a bad manager. I once had him on my Saturday show like 10 years ago, and he was just analyzing baseball. And he was talking about what he would do as manager, and I fell in love. I got to be honest with you because he was talking about the things that now managers do. I'm not even kidding you. He was talking about why would I use my closer only in the ninth inning? It doesn't make any sense. I would use my best reliever when I need to use my best reliever. Now, those are things that are very common now. But I remember when I had him on like 2010, 2011, whatever year it was, I was hearing him say it saying, Yeah, man, as a fan, I've always thought that. So I think he knows the game really well. Again, not that far removed from playing. He's built like a freight train how will he handle the room look it's one of the more important jobs as manager uh again i think being kind of close to playing like not that far removed from playing could be a help it may it's not a hindrance certainly not so i
1: like gabe kapler i think he's a a really solid candidate your thoughts so he's one of my three obviously Craig is number one he sits at number three for me because again he's got a lot of quirkiness to him, which I kind of like. Like I'm, in, I'm, I'm kind of like intrigued by it. Uh, but again, there c- could be negativity with it. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. What I've heard the negative with him is he's a little bit hands off with the locker room. Like the last month of the season was a cra- was a crap show for the Giants. They were like. Th- I don't remember what the exact total was to finish, but they were six and twelve at one point time, which is basically why they say goodbye to him. But this team, the like what you said, this Giants team is not very good. They're actually a bunch of met retreads. You go through with JD Davis, Flores, um, I'm, uh, missing of uh, Michael Caffordo is a was the key offseason move uh, in twenty twenty three. They missed out on Aaron Judge. They missed out out, out on Carlos Correa. They lost Carlos Rodon, and yet they still were relevant for a majority of the season until the tail end. He
0: has a couple of things attached to him that are controversial, one of which is that allegedly, and this was from 2015, and it came out, I'd say, about a year ago. About a year ago it became news, but allegedly he didn't report an assault involving two Dodger players and a 17-year-old. And so he faced a lot of scrutiny for his handling of that, it was a very serious allegation. It was a sexual abuse allegation. And Gabe Kapler apparently did not do enough upon knowing that. The other thing is he boycotted the national anthem about a year ago. Uh, he was protesting our government not doing not passing enough legislation in terms of gun violence. So those are a couple of controversies that will come up and they will be talked about if Gabe Kapler is a serious candidate. From my knowledge, there's no connection between Stearns and Kapler because that's the other thing you always have to look for and say, okay, we know the obvious connection between David Stearns and Craig Council What about Gabe Kapler? On the surface, now they could be drinking buddies for all I know, but on the surface, there doesn't appear to be a connection. But there is a connection with this guy. This guy interviewed for the Mets managerial job and apparently was one of the finalists before Mickey Callaway got the job in 2018. And that is longtime Brewers bench coach, Pat Murphy. Pat Murphy was Craig's bench coach, is Craig's bench coach. He's still the bench coach of the Brewers. And he's been there for many, many years. So obviously, Stearns has a relationship with him. He used to coach in college. So he's got, I don't want to call it managerial experience, but head coaching experience, if you will, on the collegiate level, Coach Notre Dame. But his MLB experience over the last close to a decade has been being the bench coach for Craig counsel he's in his early 60s so he's not a young guy but certainly a guy that's due for a shot and again the Mets interviewed him about four years ago now completely different administration different ownership so I don't think that interview has anything to do with now I'm just pointing out that he has been connected to the Met job before Pat Murphy bench coach Milwaukee Brewers reaction to that is what no thanks no, the
1: reaction to that is yeah like he's definitely not on the <laughs> on the top of the list but here's the thing about Craig council we could sit here and say wow what a great manager he is he knows the game but a lot of times your bench coach whispers stuff to you and you take the you take the the um the celebration you get you get the praise for it because of something that maybe somebody else does And that's what, as a head coach, that's what that's what it is. As a manager, you get all the praise, you get all the negative, but you get the praise too. So there's a possibility that maybe Pat Murphy is someone that's uh, the the uh, the Brewer Whisperer, I guess you could say. Another guy who has
0: a resume that, in a weird way, is very similar to Buck Showalter. They are uh, this man is a little bit younger than Buck, but he's managed in four different places. He's had success in every one of those places, but in terms of winning a championship. That doesn't exist. He doesn't have that. So this man's resume is very, very similar to that of Buck Showalter. He is not available yet. I'm going to make that clear. At least as of this recording, he is not available. And that is Bob Melvin, the manager of the San Diego Padres. Obviously, the Padres had a disastrous 2023. Uh, in a weird way, worse than the Mets. And the reason I'd say that is because the Mets, we know why they suck. Like, you can look at the numbers and you can see why the Mets sucked. You watch the team, and it's obvious, and it's right in front of you. The Padres, it's a little weirder. No, Blake Snell won the Cy Young this season, Is going to win the Cy Young this year. They've put up the numbers. They've outscored their opponents. For them to be sitting there and really never in a serious pennant race all year is one of the more mind-numbing kind of results that we've seen this year. With that said, they've had major locker room issues. Bob Melvin's their manager. It's fair to say, well, what about you? He certainly was in Oakland for a very long time, had success, was in Arizona, had success. The Mets had interest in Bob Melvin a couple of years ago. So there's your veteran manager. He's been around, but he too is coming off a really bad situation in San Diego if he does become available.
1: Again, like you, first of all, he's not available yet, but if he does become available, it's one of those things where you have a very short leash on him. Like, maybe he could do something different. Maybe he sees the game a little different. Maybe he connects to this team a little different. Again, like San Diego, like you said, uh, there's plenty of issues, (laughs) clubhouse issues right now going on there. And who knows what they're going to do with that team. I mean, they might blow up that team before we know it. I don't need that type of – because we're on the cusp right now of, like, blowing up certain players. I don't need that chaos. I don't need that. So I'd kind of stay away from him, personally speaking.
0: I agree. Not that interested. Clayton McCullough, who is a coach, he was the head of the minor leagues for a couple of years, I think with the Dodgers, he's always one of those hot names or is one of those hot names, would again be another first-time guy. So to me, very similar to Pat Murphy, even though they're very different, not as interested because it's a guy with no managerial experience. But here's another guy with no managerial experience who, for some reason, is getting a lot of attention. His name is being brought up everywhere. I think he's one of your guys, and that is Mark DeRosa.
1: Why the intrigue in Mark DeRosa? Because Mark DeRosa, I've listened to him. I've heard him talk for years now on MLB Network. That's the first thing. A lot of times we're looking at guys as managers. Obviously, you and I want someone that knows the game. I I think he understands the game very well. But a lot of what the organizations are looking for is a face of the team. Aaron Boone esque, a guy that was, you know, an analyst, a play, you know, doing the Sunday night baseball, someone that speaks the game well, someone that can handle the media well. DeRosa will do that. That's no question. That's the first thing. He will handle New York media. Perfectly. He was with the, 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 there for the USA for the World Baseball Classic. Listen, I know it didn't go, it didn't go perfect. But listen, (laughs) it's, he worked with a bunch of guys. He got to know a little bit, got to feel. If he's interested, he'd be number two on my list. Council one, DeRosa two, and then obviously Kaplan three. But I do, I love DeRosa. I think he knows the game well. He's again, another one of those guys that just sees the game well. And the way he breaks things down right now, in a big picture as for the network, I feel like he understands it would get this Mets team. So n- no disrespect to Mark
0: DeRosa, same thing with Pat Murphy and Clayton McCullough. This list I only have, just to make clear where I stand on this, other than Craig Council and Gabe Kapler, none of these guys interest me. I want to make that very, very, of the names I've mentioned so far, I've got a few more. Pat Murphy, uh, Clayton McCullough, Mark DeRosa, Bob Melvin, Doesn't do it for me. To me, it's Craig Council one, and the second guy is Gabe Kapler. But I have a few more names. I got a really crazy name, and I think people forget he's a free agent, that he was only given a one-year contract. And so he's available for anybody to go hire. I do not think the Mets will ever hire him. I would be stunned if David Stearns hired him. But this is a guy who now officially has a Hall of Fame resume. And that is the reigning manager, the reigning manager, the manager of the reigning and defending world champion Houston Astros, Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker is a free agent again, so I I have to throw him out there. It's irresponsible not to. What about Dusty?
1: I'd go Felipe Alou before I go Dusty. Uh, You know, I love I love (laughs) Dusty, I love Dusty, but. Listen, he, he, fit, he fit perfectly in that Houston Astros dugout. He, he won his World Series. I don't expect – it took for so long for him to get there and to win it finally. I, I don't expect him to get another one anytime soon. D- Dusty Baker, here's the reality,
0: because I know that there are many, many moves, even I remember, from postseason games that jump out at you as choke job managerial moves. But the results are the results. And when you have a sample size of as many years managing as Dusty Baker does, which is 26 seasons, and you look at that resume between what he's now done in Houston and what he did in Washington and what he did in Cincinnati and what he did in Chicago and what he did in San Francisco, he wins. Like he flat out wins. Now, he didn't win the big one until this past year, 100 percent, but It's very tough to argue against Dusty Baker. The only argument you can make is, well, he's older, so how many more years is he going to do it? Not that he can't do it because he can. He's proving he can. The Astros just won another division. The Astros have a chance to win another championship. They're in the midst of a dynasty, and he didn't exactly take over the easiest situation in the world. He took over during a cheating scandal and a pandemic. Like, literally, that's when he took over. And they were under 500, and then they came back from 3-0 down in the ALCS to force the seventh game. That's what he did in his first year coming off a cheating scandal and a pandemic. Then he backs it up with, let's see, what did he do in 2021? Oh, yeah, they went to the World Series. What did they do in 2022? They went, and they won a World Series. There is no argument against him other than simply, well, he's 75. And I want a guy that's going to do it for 10 years. We just talked about stability. Is Dusty going to come in and say, yeah, I'll manage till I'm 83 years old. And by the way, I'll be great doing it. That, that's a concern. And that's the only concern because as much as you want to rip apart his managing, which I'm sure we could all do, results are results. He's one of the most successful managers over the last 30 years.
1: He just is. Yeah, but the, the, but him going to Houston's a little different than him going to the Mets, like a team that just with the. Highest payroll in the history of the game, won 75 games. He went to Houston, who's been in and out of the World Series for the past, like, six, seven years. You know, and their team has been, like, it's they've gelled. They've worked this system out. They've been able to – their their farm system has been ridiculous. They just have, uh, offload a ton of pitchers every year. A different pitcher comes up and shells out. Like, you're talking about it, the perfect spot for him to go to where he doesn't have to do too much. I think with the Mets, he's got to do a little bit more than this. It will never happen. I want to
0: make that clear. This is one of those, he's available. And it's kind of funny that he is because they won the World Series. He wasn't even immediately resigned. And he had to come back and sign a one-year contract with Jim Crane while he was also looking for a general manager. And here's my last candidate. And I'm intrigued by this guy. I think this guy deserves another shot because his last trip was not good. His last managerial tenure was not good, and he's available. And from my understanding, he certainly wants to manage again. And I think he can handle New York because he's managed in New York. And that, of course, is Joe Girardi, the former manager of the Phillies and the former manager of the Yankees, and the one year he had with the Marlins back in 2006. We, as Met fans, were obsessed with hiring Joe Girardi after the Yankees got rid of him. It was an obsession for multiple years. Because I remember when the Met when the Yankees surprisingly let him go, the Mets had already hired Mickey Calloway, so it was too late. And I was annoyed saying, well, maybe you should have waited. Maybe you should have just given it a little bit more time. Yeah, you identified Mickey Calloway, but you never know who's going to become available. Joe Girardi became available. Then when they fired Calloway, I wanted them to hire him. And they didn't again. And he ends up with the Philadelphia Phillies. Mets ended up hiring Carlos Beltran. The Beltron thing doesn't happen. Turns into Luis Rojas. So, And we as fans on this radio station, on WFAN, were demanding Joe Girardi. That was the hottest Met fan kind of unified opinion we've had in a very long time. Joe Girardi, Joe Girardi, Joe Girardi. What's different now is what happened in Philadelphia. And I can't defend it. Like 2020, okay, fine, throw out like we all do. They underachieved in 2021. And they were disaster in 2022 until they fired him and everything shot up. But what we're really talking about with Joe is a bad year and a half. That's really what we're talking about. Because his tenure with the New York Yankees, and I defended it all the time, I thought was damn good. He won with that 2019. They had a couple of very good seasons. And then while they had basically no talent, Lyle Overbay, is out there playing first base every day, they still manage as Brian Cashman's rebuilding to go out and win 85 games, 84 games, 87 games, and then he was the manager of the Baby Bombers in year number one. I am good with talking and being interested in Joe Girardi. So of all the names that are available, Dusty, I don't want to insult because I want to put him aside because he's such an accomplished manager. A lot of it is it's not going to happen he can't commit to managing here for a very long time, so I'll put him aside. But anyone else that's available as of right now, to me, it's Craig Council, a clear number one, followed
1: by Gabe Kapler and Joe Girardi. There's one name that you missed, and he, go and ahead. he did get fired recently. He got let go of his job. That's Wally Backman. Oh, stop. <laughs> Because that's the counter. Because everyone wants to see Wally in a Mets manager manager uniform. I, I, I don't want to see that at all. I again, I respect your list. Um, two out of the three, me and you were on the same page with. I think I, I do have a man crush on Darosa. I think that he'd handle New York very well. So, <laughs> well, we'll see. David Stearns
0: is going to take over Monday at noon. There's a press conference. We will react to what David Stearns has to say with a podcast this week. We'll also have a podcast this week in which we give you the Rooters guide to the Major League Baseball playoffs. So we got a lot of pods popping out as the offseason begins, including our exit interview of 2023. I don't know if it's a good sign or a bad sign or if it means nothing, but Pete Alonso remained in full uniform late after this game, was taking pictures on the field with his wife. That is going to be the big cloud hanging over this franchise in this offseason. Are they going to keep him? Are they going to trade him? Are they going to re sign him now? Are they going to let this kind of linger for another year and have Pete play out his final year before heading into free agency? The two big monstrous things on David Stearns' agenda before we get to, you know, fixing the pitching staff. The manager and probably more importantly, the future of Pete Alonso. We will spend a lot of time on all of those topics as the offseason is finally. Here. You can email the pod the rico b at gmail.com. The rico b at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and downloading Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya Podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.